Welcome to the Catholic Truth Podcast, where we teach and preach the truth of the Catholic faith without compromise and without apology. We want to give you high energy and non-boring Catholicism, where anyone at any time can come to know exactly what the Catholic Church teaches and why. We do apologetics, spirituality, other religions, our culture, and more. Most of all, we want to inspire you, inform you, and help you to know, love, and live your Catholic faith with purpose and passion. We are Catholic Truth. Part 2 of Refuting Seventh-day Adventists' Claims, Lies, Errors, and Outlandish, Absurd Claims About the Catholic Church. And I truly feel bad for Seventh-day Adventists because they don't know better. They've just heard and learned what other people have told them. And it all started with their founder, Ellen G. White, who wrote this book called The Great Controversy. And it's over six, almost 700 pages. And there's sometimes up to five to 10 errors per page. This thing is just riddled with errors on history, on the Bible, and especially on the Catholic Church. And if you don't know better, you're going to think that the Catholic Church is this evil institution that killed people down through the ages, that just murdered everybody who had a Bible, all true believers, people who believed in true Christianity, and all of this successionism history that's already been refuted by scholars, not Catholic scholars, unbiased, regular historians and scholars. Check out part one, because we went through so many errors. So we're going to be picking up where we left off, refuting the errors of Ellen G. White, the Seventh-day Adventist, and giving proof, actual proof, that what she says is not true. We quoted actual history books. We quoted the early church fathers. We quote Catholic sources, nothing that she does herself. She just makes all these outlandish claims, but doesn't back any of it up. No citations, no sources. We're just supposed to take her word for it. But to show you that she's incorrect, we're actually going to be citing true sources so that you can see for yourself that we're not making this up. And she is. But before we do, we just want to let you know about a program that's coming. It's called Catholic Truth Elite, and it's going to be a platform for only members, and you're going to get the best Catholic apologetics. You won't be able to find anything like it on the internet. For example, we're going to give you questions to ask Mormons, uh, five questions for regular people, then 50 questions for elite members, five questions for Jehovah's Witnesses and Islam that you can ask them when you meet with them or if you converse with them. But then you're going to get the top 50 verses for if you're an elite member. And we will actually send them to you every time. We'll give you the top five verses for faith alone, but the top 25 or 30 verses for elite members. And we will send you these every time along with transcripts so you can have all the information for yourself. So you can learn it and you can get hardcore Catholic Apologetics 404. And again, you're going to be hard pressed to find anywhere on the internet, any of this information, because it's going to be deep and it's going to be hardcore apologetics and even spirituality as well through blogs, through podcasts, and through YouTube. So check it out. It will be coming soon. The next thing she says is this. She says that in order to make up this information to prove that the Pope was to improve all of this other stuff, false councils were created and documents were invented out of the blue. And the Catholic Church basically just made all of this up and made up all the documents to prove it too. But again, she doesn't cite any of the documents. She doesn't give us any of these supposed documents. I mean, if, if the Catholic Church did that and taught her people it and then quoted their own documents to prove their point, then where are the documents, Mrs. White? What are they? Why can't you cite them? Because it's all in your imagination. That's why. It's not actual fact. And you're slandering the Catholic Church and you're slandering other Christians. And that is a serious sin before God. 
Ellen G. White goes further. And there are hundreds, but we'll only mention a few more just for time. But she says, quote, Popery had become the world's deposit in the 13th century. The Holy Scriptures were almost unknown, not only to the people, but also to the priests. Like the Pharisees of old, the Papists, leaders, they hated the light, which would reveal their sins. For centuries, Europe had made no progress. A moral and intellectual paralysis had fallen on Christendom with no progress in learning, arts, or civilization, unquote. Wow. This might be her her biggest gaping massacre, blithering mistake that she's made. I can't give you descriptive words big enough to describe the massive blunders that she gives here. There's not a single thing that she said that was actually true. And we're going to prove to you without a shadow of a doubt right now that all of this is 110% false, which calls into credibility all of the rest of the things she says in the book. I mean, this is so far off base, she can't even be trusted. First, it's a mistake to say that the Bible was basically unheard of. No one even read it. The people, the priests, no one read the Bible. No one knew the Bible. She goes on to say that Luther found it accidentally one day when he was walking through a library. It happened to have a copy there of a Latin Bible, the likes of which he had never seen. He didn't know the Bible. I mean, he, he came across it, and thank God he did because he got it into the hands of the people. He went right to the printing press and got it out there in the vernacular and in his own language so the people could read it, and all of these other myths. But the reality is the Catholic Church had 16 versions in German long before Martin Luther got his version out. They also had versions in French and Spanish and Italian. They didn't need Luther to get into the common tongue because the Catholic Church had already done that. That's a historical fact. But the bottom line is Luther even admits that he knew the scriptures because the Catholics taught them to him. And in fact, he was commissioned as a priest to teach the scriptures to the people. He was allowed to study the scriptures, learn the scriptures, and then go teach them to the people. So this this debunks both statements because Luther, a priest, knew the Bible, and the people knew the Bible because priests were teaching people the Bible. I mean, listen to what Luther says. I'll read you his words so you don't think this poor lying Catholic is making it up. Quote, we concede, as we must, that so much of what they, the Catholic Church, says is true, that the papacy does have God's word and the office of the apostles, and that we have received the holy scriptures, baptism, the sacraments, and the pulpit from them. So he admits that we've that he's received the scriptures from the Catholic Church. I mean, he disagrees with the Catholic Church at this point in his life, and he thinks they're wrong about other things, but he even admits that the Catholic Church was not withholding the scriptures from the people. And we just made a long video, so I'm not going to get too much into this, but check out our video on the history of Bible reading in the Catholic Church. We go through the whole history of Bible reading to show how the Catholic Church made the Bible, how the Catholic Church copied the Bible for over a thousand years, taught it to her people, preserved it and protected it from being disintegrated and annihilated from the barbarians and Vikings who would come into the Roman Empire and just destroy the Roman Empire and burn libraries if it wasn't for the Catholic monks saving the Bible and other books and then starting to recopy them. We wouldn't even have literacy. There were parts of the world that had a blackout in literacy for 300 years, but it was the Catholic monks who saved Western civilization from this same kind of blackout. And they didn't, unlike 
Ellen G. White, who says that they got rid of anything that wasn't Catholic and they burned them and they hated anti-Catholic literature. The Catholic Church saved books like Tacitus and Cicero and really popular classics that we know today that we would not know if the Catholic Church had not copied them and the monks had not copied them. You want to talk about learning? The Catholic Church invented the university system during the Dark Ages. It was the Catholic Church who was the one who made different classes, up to seven courses, math, science, English, languages, and different things like that, theology, philosophy, and you had to learn each and every one of them. And you had to go through these and you had to get degrees. And the Catholic Church expanded education so it wasn't just for the rich people as it normally was. Only rich people could read and write, people who are wealthy. But now the Catholic Church is expanding it for everyone. So far from keeping education and being at a literary standstill and a technological standstill, the opposite is true. The Catholic Church forwarded and advanced education, both on a local level and on the university level. They taught science and technology. And in fact, the monks developed technology that no one of the day had developed. They learned to drain swamps and create machines in order to do so and create agriculture and create crops that people couldn't do at the time. They didn't know how to drain swamps. So people just vacated the area, but monks would turn them into these huge oases of farms and be able to teach other others to do so. They also advanced math and science for over a thousand years, more than any organization on the face of the earth. In fact, 35 craters on the moon are named after Catholic priests, not Seventh-day Adventist priests, Catholic priests because of their extraordinary advancements in both mathematics and science. And you're telling me there's no progress with literacy? or arts, or anything else, the very opposite is true. And in fact, the Catholic Church invented water-powered systems, machinery, clocks, aviation, uh, forwarded archaeology, trigonometry, Egyptology, astronomy, and so much more. The monks, in fact, developed machines to extract iron from ore. I mean, these are crazy technological advancements they were making uh, during the Dark Ages, the Middle Ages. And many, many, many more things could be said. But one of the greatest achievements is that the Catholic Church copied the Bible for over a thousand years so we could have it. If the Catholic Church wasn't copying the Bible, we would not have it. The Catholic Church saved the Bible and gave it to the world. And in fact, the first book off the printing press was the Bible. In fact, one person wrote six volumes of everything that the monks did, from science to math to technology to literacy, everything that they did to basically build all of Western civilization as we know it. I mean, the Catholic Church made hospitals, invented orphanages, they invented law, economics, the scientific method, on and on and on. And Ellen G. White and the Seventh-day Adventists say there was zero progress, there was no learning, nothing happened because of the papacy, quite the opposite. It's so sad to me. It breaks my heart that people buy lies without any evidence. And the last thing she says on this is about the art. She said there was no advancement in art. Even in the Middle Ages, the Dark Ages, they were creating some of the most beautiful art and some of the most beautiful sculptures and architecture and some of the most beautiful polyphony and chant. And it's gorgeous from beginning to end. The Catholic Church forwarded art and literacy and learning. And scholars say that it led to what we know today as the modern technological and scientific revolution because of all the learning that Catholic Church had people doing in the universities. And it wasn't just Catholic stuff they were learning. They were learning classics and things that were even against the Catholic Church and non-Catholic sources as well. The next quote is this. She says this, quote, 
and we're still talking in the 13th century here, but she says papist priests pretended by their senseless mummery to convert a simple bread and wine into the actual body and blood of Christ. With blasphemous presumption, they openly claimed to be, quote, creating God, the creator of all things. And she puts that in quote, even though that's not really a quote from Catholics. She goes on to say that all Christians were required under pain of death to put their faith in this horrible, heavenly insulting heresy, and multitudes who refused were given to the flames, unquote. Again, you have the Da Vinci Code, this evil uh, mockery of a movie that says all these claims, but makes no case for it, and it's actually not true. Starting with the Eucharist, this is so easily disproven. The Catholic Church did not invent the Eucharist or transubstantiation or the fact that the bread and wine become the body and blood of Christ uh, when the priest prays over it. This goes back to the earliest days of Christianity. I know non-Catholics will believe me. Uh, when I say this many times, but anti-Catholics will not believe me unless I prove it. So I'm going to read a few quotes from the earliest Christians, most of them before Constantine, and a few after, just so you can know that this didn't start in the 1200s. It started with Christ, and it goes back to the beginning. You can't find any, any early Christians who said that the Eucharist is just a symbol. No, they all said that it's the true body and blood of Christ. Here's what they say. St. Augustine, one of probably one of the biggest Christians in history, he says this, quote, The bread that you see on the altar, which has been sanctified by the word of God, is the body of Christ. The chalice, rather, that which the chalice contains, has been sanctified by the word of God and is the blood of Christ. St. Athanasius in 373 says this, After the great and wonderful prayers by the priest, have been completed, then the bread becomes the body, and the wine becomes the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. The bread and the wine, so long as the prayers and supplications have not taken place, remain simply what they are. But after the great prayers and supplications have been set forth, the word comes down into the bread and the wine, and thus his body is confected." Unquote. I have several, several more I could quote, but in the interest of time, I'm only going to read one more. I mean, those quotes alone prove that transubstantiation and the belief in the Eucharist and the true presence and the prayers of the priests all existed centuries and centuries and centuries before 1200. So the anti-Catholic claim that this all came about in 1200, it's just not true. Listen to what St. Justin Martyr has to say in the year 150 AD. We call this food Eucharist for not as common bread, and common drink do we receive these. But since Jesus Christ, our Savior, was made incarnate by the word of God and had both flesh and blood, so we have been taught that the food which has been made into the Eucharist by the Eucharistic prayer laid down by him. Now, let me just say right off the bat here, notice all of these people in the earliest church, some of these before Constantine, are saying that there's Eucharistic prayers. The priest prays over the bread and wine and it becomes the Eucharist. It becomes the body and blood of the Lord. It becomes Jesus. I mean, Justin Martyr is in 150 AD. He's around the time of Irenaeus, who says the exact same thing. Irenaeus, who knew Polycarp, who knew John, who wrote the Gospel of John. This is how early we're talking about. And they all say the same thing. So this belief was around long before the 1200s. 
Ellen G. White goes on to say that millions of people uh, were killed by the Catholic Church, but cites no sources, gives no evidence. So why do we even have to bother to refute it? If you don't have any evidence, and if you can't prove it, if you can't quote an encyclopedia, a history book, or something other than a meme, a tweet, or a YouTube video that you think is true and you want to be true just because it's in a YouTube video, this is why I quote actual historical documents. This is why I quote actual Catholic documents. This is why I quote the earliest Christians for themselves so that people don't just take my word for it. But the bottom line is you need to prove it from history that the Catholic Church killed millions of people. We're going to have a video on the Inquisition soon, which she said killed millions of people, which is absolutely in all other ways false. And in fact, some anti-Catholics say that that the Catholic Church killed 50 million people in the Inquisition. 50 million. You'll hear this said by the by the biggest anti-Catholics, but there weren't even 50 million people in Europe at the time. You literally would have had to kill every man, woman, and child. Think about that. Europe's gone. And then the Catholic Church imports millions more just to kill them. Like, that's how absurd these claims are. All throughout this book, she makes the claim that there were all these secret uh, societies or secret Christians underground while the Catholic Church gained more and more power and it became more dark and the Pope started to wield the sword and the Bible next to each other. And if you didn't believe in the Pope and you believed in the Bible instead, or if you read the Bible on your own, or if you did anything against the church, you would be killed. I mean, she says this and she says that all these people were fearing for their lives and they were worshiping underground and they went by different names, similar to that trail of blood successionist theory of Baptists. But she's basically, many of the people who just clashed with the Catholic Church, or the Catholic Church clashed with, oh, well, they were true Christians. Like, one of these groups was called the Waldenses, and the Waldenses were a group around the 1200s, and they clashed with the Catholic Church. Peter Waldo, their founder, wanted approval to teach the scriptures, even though he was untrained in the scriptures himself, and had no training and no teaching in the scriptures. He just read it for himself and interpreted it for himself. And the Catholic Church, of course, said no, because we have to preserve what the scriptures actually teach. And you need qualified people to do that. And he wasn't. But so they say, well, they're true Christians. They held that the Sabbath was on Saturday. They held the doctrines of transubstantiation were evil and infant baptism and many other things that the Catholic Church teaches were all evil. The Waldenses, they knew Christ. They were on fire. I mean, she actually says this. It's like a storybook. Their hearts burn for the love of Christ. But what she doesn't tell you or what she's ignorant of herself is that the Waldenses actually believed in the true presence of the Eucharist. They believed in infant baptism. They believed in the sacrifice of the Mass. They believed in the intercession of the saints. They believed in many of the Catholic doctrines. So pray tell, tell me, Mrs. White, how could they be pure, pristine Christians? If any Seventh-day Adventist or anti-Catholic today knew what they actually believed, there's not a single person who would deem them as a true Christian sect because they believe many of the same heresies that the Catholic Church you say, believes. So how can they be true Christians? This is just how monumentally disappointing and dishonest and sophomoric all of this is. Honestly, I shouldn't even have to debunk all of this, but so many people believe it, and I care for the souls of the people, so I'm trying to give as many facts as possible and not make this a four-hour session, although that's not a bad idea. Maybe we can make a four-hour session just on the Seventh-day Adventists and make it into a CD set or something, but Moving on. The next thing she says is this, 
Quote, the Catholic Church promulgated indulgences, which gave a full remission of sin. Remember those words, remission of sin. Past, present, and future. <laughs> Whoa, sorry, I need to interrupt this for a second. I didn't even get that the first time I read it. Apparently, an indulgence, you can get your sins forgiven, past, present, and the future. I mean, I read that before, but I'm just getting this now. Wow, what a great deal. You can do whatever sins you want, and they'll be forgiven if you just get this indulgence. Wow. As we're going to see, that is absolutely ludicrous, and it doesn't even make sense. And we have the writings of the Catholic Church to prove this. Let's continue the quote. And you will be released from all the pains and penalties incurred for those who promise to enlist in the pontiff's wars to extend his temporal dominion or to exterminate those who dare deny his spiritual supremacy, unquote. Again, Da Vinci Code, anyone? If you would like to hear what we have to say about the Da Vinci Code, we have a whole uh, lengthy podcast on the Da Vinci Code, giving all of the errors. It's actually kind of a, a fun podcast you should check out. But there's so many problems with this. First and foremost, never in the history of the Catholic Church in 2000 years has the Catholic Church said that indulgences forgive sins. They don't. You have to go to confession and confess your sins to God in order to get an indulgence. If you don't confess your sins to God, you can't get an indulgence because they don't forgive sins. So for Ellen G. White to sit here saying that not only do they forgive sins and give you a full remission of sin, but they give you a full freedom of sin, forgiveness of sin for the past, present, and future is absolutely ludicrous. It doesn't make sense. And she has no sources to cite. We just take her demonic words for it. And I say demonic because they're lies, one after another after another. And I don't think she's intentionally lying against the Catholic Church. I just think she's sincerely ignorant. I think she's read other anti-Catholic sources who have never studied the Catholic Church, who quote other anti-Catholic sources who never studied the Catholic Church, and so on. And no one's actually done anything to authenticate whether this is real or not. The Pope was not warring and sending off armies to wars, and he wasn't selling indulgences to, to fund his wars. I mean, this is absolutely insane. The, the indulgences were used, the money that were used from the donations of indulgences, and you didn't have to give monetary donations, by the way, especially if you couldn't afford it, you could do prayers or fasting or other charitable works. It wasn't always money. But besides that, the money that was used was given to build St. Peter's Basilica because it was going to ruins and it was being dilapidated. And so they wanted to rebuild it for the people and for the church. And many people wanted to help with that. And so they would donate money toward that. Nothing to do with wars or chasing people down, hunting them down and putting them on the rack and burning them alive if they didn't believe in the Eucharist and all of these other fabrications of history. <sighs> Let's just take a moment to feel bad for these people and to pray for them. Really, pray for them. Don't hate them. Don't get mad at them. They don't know better. They haven't researched it. They really think, if I read these things and I didn't know better, I would hate the Catholic Church too because the Catholic Church seems evil. This evil entity which just wanted to slaughter anything and everything in its way, I would hate that. Except that it's not true. It never has been true. And history is on our side. Which is why you, if you don't believe me, go look at the Encyclopedia Britannica, the New World Encyclopedia, the Encyclopedia of Religion, or any of the others. It'll all say what I am saying here. In fact, Archbishop Brandenburg, who was the Archbishop in Luther's area, he wrote a long, extensive letter giving the conditions 
to receive an indulgence. And one of the conditions is that you had to go to confession and confess your sins to God and receive forgiveness from your sins to have an indulgence. So this literally obliterates the myth that indulgences forgive sins. And there are a thousand misconceptions of indulgences, which is why I'm not going to talk about it much here. We're going to make a whole nother video just on that. But the bottom line is she can't even get her basic facts straight. One of these basic facts that she can't get straight is she says that the Sabbath was moved to Sunday to worship the sun god. Wow. The Catholic Church moved it to Sunday to worship the sun god. Where does the Catholic Church teach that again? Where does any early Christian teach that again? Keep in mind, Ellen, we have the writings of the earliest church Christians. Mrs. White, where does it say that? In fact, I'm going to read to you right now just from a few early Christians and you're going to see that it has nothing to do with the sun god. It has to do with the real God, Jesus Christ, who rose from the dead. And we celebrate him and his lordship and how he is God and Lord over all. How he shattered death. How he destroyed sin. And how he is alive forevermore. Hallelujah. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the Holy One of Israel. And we celebrate him on the Sabbath and his resurrection. That is what it's about, his resurrection. Now, listen to these quotes. And here, in these quotes, if you hear the word resurrection, or if you hear the word, we're going to worship the sun god. <laughs> okay, here we go. The letter to Barnabas in 74 AD, we're talking like apostolic times, like St. John hadn't even written his gospel yet. It says, we keep the eighth day, Sunday, with joyfulness, and the day which also Jesus rose again from the dead on. Justin Martyr in 150 says that the Sunday is the day on which all of our households assemble in common because it is the first day on which Jesus Christ, our Savior, on that same day, rose from the dead, unquote. Eusebius, who's the earliest church historian with the surviving account of the early church, he says Sunday was the day of Christ's resurrection, where they worshiped the sun god. Oh, wait, it doesn't say that, sorry. It says, Sunday was the day of Christ's resurrection from the dead, which they say as being the one and holy, true holy day and the Lord's day. That's why it's the Lord's day, because it's his resurrection from the dead. The constitution of the Catholic Church, the apostolic constitution. So we're, we're getting into like legitimate documentation here. It says, and on the Lord's resurrection day, which is the Lord's day, we meet more diligently, sending praise to God that made the universe by Jesus and sent him to us and condescended to let him suffer and raised him from the dead. So they specifically said the Catholic Church's apostolic constitution has said that it's because Jesus Christ rose from the dead on that day that we celebrate him and we praise God and we sing his praises. Nothing to do anywhere with the sun god. Please lose that obsession. I mean, I know she thinks that Constantine made that. The Constantine had nothing to do with Sunday. I mean, sure, in the Roman Empire, he made it a day of rest. He made it a national day of rest. Fine, because he was Christian and Christians had proclaimed Sunday since the beginning of the church 
as the Lord's Day. Notice Barnabas, who was in apostolic times, who wrote before some of the Gospels were even written. He was writing that on the Lord's Day, which is Sunday, they were celebrating it with joyfulness because Jesus rose from the dead. So, I mean, all before Constantine, for hundreds of years before Constantine, we see Christians celebrating the Sabbath on Sunday. I have literally given you only about 1% or 2% of the errors in this book. There are so many more that I would love to cover, and maybe will in a future episode. But this is a lot of ammunition and information against the Seventh-day Adventists, who are false religion, who are teaching false doctrines, who are teaching false claims against the Catholic Church and other Christians, by the way, because they say anyone who worships on the Sabbath, Sunday, is from the devil, because that's from the devil. So they're really putting all Christians in this. And just like the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons, they're like sectarianists, like only they're right, everyone else is evil, because our little cult evolved in the 1800s, and well, we're better than all the other cults that have evolved in the 1800s. But in reality, Jesus started his church 2,000 years ago, and he said the gates of hell would not prevail against it. He would not let such errors in to that church unless it was from him. He also said that he would guide his church in Matthew 28, 19 until the end of time. He also said that the church is the pillar and foundation of truth in 1 Timothy 3.15, so we can trust the church that Jesus started. If you need a Catholic speaker, apologetic seminars, if you want a confirmation retreat, anything, check out our website at info at the catholictruth.org. It has videos as well, blogs, uh, podcasts, it has retreats, parish missions, and so much more. So check it out at info at the catholictruth.org. And if you can, please support our ministry. Check out our Patreon and our PayPal below. You help us to reach others. And I want to thank all of our patrons for supporting our work. It's you who help us reach others. So thank you, and God bless you.